Hey there, ghosties. Welcome to the Ghost Lights Podcast, episode 70. This week, we sat down with Brian Freeland, uh, one of the creative minds behind the creation of the Lighter Project while in Denver. He's had the, the, I've had the good opportunity to work with him here as he's traveled back and forth from New York. We talked about the birth of his love affair with theater and some of the challenges that face both New York and Colorado's communities. I hope you sit back, enjoy. We are back. We're not going away anytime soon. Now, Dan, kick us that war by the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble. We are back. It is your boy, Sam Gilstrap. That name has a ring to it like a wedding vow. I know that's like an old intro, but I'm I'm feeling like we need to go back into time a little bit. It's been a while. You've missed the sound of my voice. You've missed my presence. Or at least that's what my ego is telling me has been the case this entire time. So we're back. And what better way to come back than with a man I re- I would I would say is a genius based off my opportunities being able to work with him if you've had the opportunity to work with brian freeland i'm sure you would probably say the exact same thing when you described him brian freeland from nyc welcome to the ghost lights <laughs> podcast sam how are you my friend i good am doing to see great you. good to see you i gotta tell you um, before we jumped into this you called this a date and i did start blushing it's been a long time so if i <laughs> If I get down on one knees and, pro- and knee and propose to you by the end of this evening, just know that I get a little nervous and sometimes I, I, I give too much of myself early on. So please be gentle when you reject me. Always, always, okay. man. Always. Thank you. <laughs> oh, mercy. I love it. I, love it. I, I want to start off with just this, this icebreaker that's been kind of on my mind. And... Uh, if you if you don't want to go down this road with me, you, oh. you can absolutely go in a different direction. But do Hit you me. have a favorite childhood meal? Like, was your mom, or your dad, really good cook? And there's like, oh man, if I could have this right now, I'd go back to oh. six years old. Man, so yeah, my father, yes, uh, my father every Friday night mm-hmm. i think it was every friday Feel, felt like every friday yeah they'd make homemade tacos oh and this and so you know from a corn tort corn tortilla deep fried thrown in there um you know crunchy um nobody makes them like that anymore so um yeah that's kind of and then we'd have like a bunch of popcorn and punch on the on and watch movies on a friday night so oh man what were you yeah doing? Did you have like the same couple of movies you'd watch every Friday night or? Oh, no. Uh, no, I think, you know, I grew up in that that sweet spot of an era where where um, cable had just come out. So mm-hmm. it was like either cable or like the five movies at the gas station for VHS tapes. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And so, so it was like, you know, the the best of 1984 movies. I mean, you know. Uh, that HBO or something would have on. So 
uh, yeah, we would catch the same movie, and then of course it would be on again and again. And every, I think I think we watched The Shining like seven Fridays in a row. So, oh man, that's that's a prime movie. Time. It is, it is yeah, a it is a it is a prime time movie. It is a prime time movie. I was uh, I uh, I have got I had the duplicate copies of the movie Predator, which came out in 1987. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm going to give the DVD that I have can keep the Blu-ray. I'm going to give the DVD to a student at the school that I teach at. And I and I found a student, a guy who played wide receiver on my football team. And I was like, I'm giving this to you. And I, You and I must it, understand the importance of this. I put it in his hand. I was like, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger at his absolute best. This is this is a triumph of 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 action movies this is it's important to me that you understand this rodney and i need you to love this movie there's no book report due on this but i want it to touch you as though as it as it touched me and he looked at me and was like okay mister and and he went to the boys and girls club to play basketball and and any life-changing report back from rodney no, we're Ever? gonna find out. I did it today. Okay. I did it today. Oh, oh, okay. Today. Am, okay. So that's... I am I am emotionally attached to this whole moment that I shared with him. And it is important to me that he watches this. I know he does not listen to the podcast, but if he does, okay. Rodney, if you don't tell me that you love that movie, um, it's it's totally fine. It's just an action movie. There's an alien. Bill Duke, you know, Jesse the Body yeah. Ventura. Yeah, yeah sweating and lifting weights and then getting destroyed by it was it was that era that that late 80s era which uh um, wrestlers would then try to make their break into into film right yeah yeah. like that was really that golden era of wrestler movie wrestler becoming actor movies yeah we're like five years removed from hulk hogan being thunderlips in the third rocky movie which, by the way, one of the worst names ever for a, a wrestler, I think. Especially because when I thought of Hulk Hogan, it was had nothing to do with his lips. No, not at all. And, and if it's like related to his ability to cut a good promo, it's a little, it's, it's too subtle a reference to the wrestling world to drop in a movie about Rocky Balboa. Yes, I would agree and- with that. Anyway, <laughs> let's uh, let me let me get my let me let me get off my little soapbox here about kayfabe and and wrestlers and, and action movies. <laughs> <laughs> Brian Freeland, tell me, how did theater happen to you? Oh, I mean, uh, I don't think I had that unique a story. I mean, it's probably the same story that that most of us have found, um, you know, trying to fit in as an adolescent and, uh, and finding that tribe. I mean, I found it pretty early, ninth, eighth, ninth grade. Um, I think it found me in a very strange way. I mean, there was, there was a girl involved in which she wanted to audition for a show but was a, because she wanted to go after a boy mm. and uh, convinced me to audition alongside her. We both got in. Uh, she, of course, fell out of enamoration with this boy. And 
I guess I fell in enamoration with with theater, and mm-hmm. um, I found a ton of solace. I mean, I was you know I was kind of a lost kid mm-hmm. for a lot of my youth, and um, I think <coughs> it was the one grounding that I had. Mm. Um, and like a lot of, um, like a lot of kids to theater, you know, you find yourself first in performance, you know, Mm. you're, you're in a, in an acting role or an acting, um, and then you find, uh, you find that the entire making of that theater, but I, I was, I was all in from the beginning. I was like, uh, if I could, if I can come and paint this, paint the sets, great. If I can come run a spotlight, great. Um, and so the more that I, um, I was in a theater, the the safer I felt and the better I was at, you know? What was that show? Do you remember? It was, yes, it was fame, the musical. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. With the younger generation players, which were, uh, it was a it was a young person's theater company in uh, in Denver. Um, they they went on to have thirty five plus years. They closed recently, uh, probably within the last ten years. Um, the founder and her husband um, retired, but not after you know having brought a ton of kids in and out of that program. Um, it was great. Nice. Did you did you yeah. work with them a lot? I did. I worked with them. Um, you know, I worked with them all the way through high school. Then I got involved, you know, with, with high school theater too. Mm-hmm. And I got, um, you know, the, the, the founder, Peggy Kerr was, a was, uh, she was a tough love second mother. Mm-hmm. You know, she was no, she was no nonsense. And I was kind of an asshole at times, even to her. I mean, I just was a, a kid who was trying on all kinds of different personas and trying to figure it out but Mm. she always kind of kept me centered even when I was was off the rails and uh yeah so she kept me she kept me on the on the straight and right I mean and and it was I I laugh now because it was it was traditional American uh musical theater Mm -hmm. and you know it's totally not the path that I that I ended up with in terms of genre uh, in which I work in, but and I've got I've got this crazy soft spot for musicals, um, <laughs> you know, mid 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 century musicals and uh, later, so Rodgers and Hammerstein and uh, you know things like that. Oh, we, we, you you've opened the door, and I'm a big fan of oh. Mount Rushmore's. I need your top oh. four musicals. Oh, top four top four musicals. Well, I mean, I would I would say. Certainly, you've got uh, the Scarlet um, Pimpernel. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't throw. I wouldn't throw that. <laughs> I'm gonna. Go, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go classics for, and I would throw in uh, the much uh, 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 maligned Oklahoma. Okay. That that I would throw that up there. Um, and um, oh, I was reared on on an Andrew Lloyd Webber. You know, kind of like in that 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 uh, that period, and he wrote this incredibly obtuse musical called "Aspects of Love," mm. that um, that bombed. Uh, oh, it's it's so convoluted in which uh, 
It has, uh, you know, fading, uh, fading starlets and incest, and um, it, it's not the it's not the uh, the makings of of the uh, uh, the the Broadway smash that that you know Weber was known for later on. Um, but I would throw that I would throw that up there in the top. Okay. Um, the the often overlooked sequel to Bye Bye Birdie which is called Bring Back Birdie, um, which has uh, you know, a sequence in which there's now, instead of a telephone sequence, there's like a punk rock band. And um, yeah, very, very, very strange, very strange little, uh, little piece of, of musical theater. Um, oh, what, what would my fourth be? Um, probably would have to, uh, uh, probably round that out with um oh there was um uh the mystery of edwin drood the musical mm. is this strange little again strange little short-lived piece i mean of course your musical theater uh fans are, are these are probably awful in terms of musicality and actual <laughs> and actual uh, um, form, but uh, they 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 uh, they crash into a pretty soft spot for me. That's that's I. What is that about? I have like, based off that title. I'm assuming it's like a a biopic of a of a of a scientist turned rock star. Oh no! So so the mystery of Edwin Drood um, was this this piece uh, of 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 Dickens that he never that he never finished, and so mm. it's like this last it's a it's a mystery, mm. and um, think of uh, a la Clue or something that you know where you have a, a have a murder. There's a mystery, and you know it's kind of a whodunit. Mm. But because the the piece was never finished, it's often been kind of reimagined. Um, I think I've got my, I think I've got my facts straight, but it's often reimagined here with, uh, with different endings. Um, and so this was kind of a, a choose your own adventure ending oh, man. musical. So I think that there was a, there was three or four different endings to this musical, uh, based on audience, some sort of like, you know, proto audience, uh, interactivity that they chose the ending. Um, so that sounds yeah. amazing. <laughs> I love the idea of there being this immersive live theater experience where you start out, you see the beginning of the show, and then depending on who you are drawn to the most in the opening number, you go to different rooms for the rest of the performance. See now, yeah, you could you could you could take that piece yeah. because you know, never finished. Now you've got this now you've got this framework in which you can start hanging on all, all kinds of interesting scenarios we need sam we need i think get, you've got a new piece i i think what we needed you said this was uh, dickens that wrote us yeah 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 dickens we got it we got to talk to the, the people who run his estate and get the rights <laughs> to it and then off center <laughs> go ahead and call me and brian freeland and we'll work it out i mean we'll work we it can, out yeah we can make it this work stanley marketplace it's kind of vacant <laughs> right now just kick some Is other it? people out I, I have no idea <laughs> i don't know i don't go up there i'm not uh, I'm not allowed into Stapleton unless I'm house sitting. So, <laughs> okay, okay. First of all, I am uh -oh. I am jumping in. Uh oh, first God of my... all, the uh, the the Van Gogh exhibit is going into Stanley Marketplace, so it's not currently uh, available. Who? 
Who? Van Gogh. Van Gogh. He's oh, a, he's a painter. Oh, uh, he's that uh, guy. He's, is he the is he the ear guy? A little bit, yeah. Will, uh, Willem Dafoe played him in a movie. Oh, amazing! Yes. Amazingly, yes. Okay, but, but yes. Although, other, great performance. Yeah. <laughs> the the other point is that I think you're onto something because if you have six different options to go now, if someone liked it, they have to come back six times to see the whole show, right? Yeah. So yeah, we're gonna make money, and if there's a theater company that has, I don't know. Um, an adventurous palette, you might say. Mm. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. We could make this whole thing work. Listen to this podcast. <clears throat> Amanda Berg Wilson. Anyway. <laughs> the, the, you mentioned another one that sounded like a, a Netflix uh, a Netflix series. Well, this, the second one you did is the one, it was the Andrew Lloyd Webber piece. Oh, the as- aspects of love. And the, aspects and the starlets. Love. Yeah, the starlets yes. cover, like, coming, I guess, I don't know falling from the sky to, to to burn out on earth i don't know i mean I, it's not that sci-fi my description is just that's where it went i mean that would be a, that'd be a killer like five episode miniseries on netflix i i dig it i mean i you know i, I talked to people who are music theater fans and um this uh this musical seems to have like just died a quiet death um in obscurity but Mm. it's it's this weird yeah and it's actually it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautiful little 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 piece mm. um dark dark as dark as all get out but yeah somebody needs to unearth it i'm sure absolutely well we've got a flashlight we'll make it work <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> so which uh which high school did you go to was it in so i went to chatfield high out oh, in littleton i know well, you know, <laughs> it was a long time ago, my friend. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. My last guest, my last guest went to my high school, so it's like if we got back to back, that'd be pretty cool. And what was your high school? You got to re- remind me. Angels East High, baby. East High. You know, I I um I have a funny story that I begged my parents. Mm. Here here I was, this little suburban kid, uh, out in Littleton, and I was mm. like. I want to go to East High School. Yeah, you do. I want to go. I want to go to East High School. And my parents looked at me like I was from Mars, and they were like, "What?" And I had it worked out. I was like, "I can take a circular bus mm-hmm. all the way out to like Southwest Plaza, and then I can go from Southwest Plaza to Cinderella City Mall, which was still open." So we're about an hour into the trip now. And then I could take the zero down and catch the fifteen, and I, you know, I would only have to leave at like. 4 30 or 5 in the morning to get there for first period <laughs> I, I could totally do this i could totally do this hey just because you map that out you're, you're still you're an angel in my book thanks man yeah, folks yeah. i uh yes you graduated with <laughs> honors in my book that was that was my alternative uh high school experience was uh was being a student at east high school nice. so your work so you're, you're studying theater as part of your high school curriculum and yeah. did you stay with it when you got into college or was it something else that uh, attracted oh, your attention oh man i was i was so i was so ready to to jump in and i mm. so i left i left high school early um i had enough credits i was was so 
eager to to start life. Um, so I jumped I jumped out of high school uh, a semester early, graduated a little a little early, and um, I went off to New York um, and uh, went into a uh, conservatory program. I was like, I am not gonna, I mean, my head was so in, uh, in the zone about jumping into the field and jumping into the, into the scene. Um, and Sam, I had never been to New York until I set foot, (laughs) uh, got off at LaGuardia, you know, off the plane. That was the first time I'd been to New York city. And then I was, uh, then I was living there. So um, it was a crazy, crazy um, kind of whiplash from from Denver uh, as a high school student, you know, and I was I was all of 18. So, I mean, I'd lived certainly lived a little but but not uh, not enough to where, you know, when I landed, I was I was in for I was in for for a bit of a ride. And Yeah. yeah, were your parents on board with this journey? No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, but at that point I was, I would, that's, you know, kind of, that's a whole nother, another yeah. path of, of, uh, you know, leaving high school early and, you know, just kind of getting on with my life. I was ready to, I was ready to, to, to be an adult mm-hmm. before, well, before I was an adult. So, so you get off the plane, it's this crazy transition, a, 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 a fish out of water, literally literally yeah and what i'm trying to get the motivation of this 18 year old kid is it just the excitement of the art or were you thinking like i'm ready right now to make it i need a little bit of both i mean obviously you know um there's there's elements of delusion (laughs) at that age where you just start uh you know um imagining yourself in in a scenario um I think part of it was I, like I said, I wanted to start living life, um, and I I had a such a propensity to to want to make theater, and at that point I wanted to be an actor. Yeah, clearly uh, the world hadn't expanded yet, um, so I was ready. I was ready to, um, and I didn't want to mess around. And in so much as like that's why I I decided I'm going to go conservatory. I don't want to mess around with. Um, with waiting a second longer, I'm just going to immerse myself, jump in. Um, and, you know, of course, when I left Colorado and went there, I, I kind of had some ideas about what the world of theater was. And I think it was really kind of tuned into what I was receiving, you know, a lot of uh, commercial theater, a lot of more mainstream um, you know, either, uh, either Broadway-esque or kind of off-Broadway type work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that step that I took, um, the second I landed, you know, my, my whole trajectory changed because I, I found avant-garde theater. I found experimental theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, I landed right in this moment you know, it was the summer of 90. And right in that moment, there was this gigantic um, explosion of activity around the NEA and, 
and artists who were being challenged or their funding being taken away for some of their controversial art. Mm. Um, and so New York was kind of like this center of this, this crazy downtown experimental theater scene. I mean, up until that point, uh, I mean, I, I was certainly attracted to, you know, things like Sam Shepard and, and some of those edgier plays, but, but the real, uh, I think avant-garde hadn't entered my, entered my periphery yet. And when it did, it, it, it kind of took me and that, (laughs) <laughs> that that musical theater got left in the in the rear view and uh a lot of the uh kind of more mainstream stuff really uh i never looked back at mm. after that point will you will you help me out uh what does the nea stand for so national endowment for the arts oh, and duh, so duh, the no 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 i mean you know and what was interesting is like that was the that was the point in which um it was in this moment where prior to this artists would receive direct funding. Mm. So if you had a project and you were an artist, you applied directly to the federal government, you applied, you could get an NEA grant. Mm. Um, And uh, there were four artists that were singled out um, for their controversial art. Um, Karen Finley, um, Holly Hughes, Andre Serrano, and I, uh, um, um, and, uh, Tim Miller. And, um, and other than Andre Serrano, who was a photographer, the other were performance or performance artists. Mm-hmm. And, um, they were making this incredibly edgy, queer, um, in your face experimental work. And, um, you know, we had just kind of flipped into uh, a, a stronger uh, Senate and uh, Jesse Helms, who was uh, decided he, he had to be in his bonnet about the NEA and saying, well, you know, why are we, why are we giving why are we giving money to this woman who covers herself in chocolate and sticks yams up her cooch? Um, And at the same time, you know, or in very short succession, you know, you had Robert Mapplethorpe um, in Cincinnati um, and his photographs being scrutinized in, in much the same way. And so you had a lot of attention on individual artists making really provocative work. And, um, and it kind of crumbled. I mean, it was, you know, it was a lot of, it was a lot of politicians wanting to cut the NEA because of some of this funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's been, I mean, it's been nearly a 30 year crawl out of that moment where so much of that funding was lost or so much of the way in which we allocate funding to artists mm-hmm. is, was forever changed. Um, I don't think it ever really recovered. It now is divvied up amongst the states and the states then divvy it up further amongst companies. And um, it really has kind of been an insulated uh, bit of funding that forever will never come back to scrutinize the federal government for for people. Um, I mean, Andres Serrano, 
who was the photographer had a, you know, his, his piece um, was called Piss Christ. And it was, uh, it was a crucifix immersed in, in urine. Um, and, and was, yeah, it's quite, I mean, it's quite a provocative statement. It's quite a provocative gesture. Um, but just the fact that he was supported by the federal government in terms of money, I mean, bl- it, it, it sent people out of their heads. Mm-hmm. Um, so the relationship to arts funding, I think was forever changed. But, you know, while I was there, things were, I mean, those were some of the, some of the milder things that were going on. I mean, you know, people were, people were doing, I mean, this was a time in which, you know, I feel like I was coming out of one era mm-hmm. and into another. And I just happened to, to be there for so, for so many years, I was like, ah, nothing, you know, I, I kind of missed all the good stuff, mm-hmm. missed all the really, but looking back, there was some, some really seminal work that I was even lucky enough to see, see some of them. Yeah. It changed me. Certainly. I mean, based off just the, the little bit that you shared there and then knowing the, the, the sparse things that I know about what, where I met you and what you were doing when our paths first cross at Lida. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so like, I can see some of that influence there for me, as you were telling this story, I was just kind of, I was in awe of the, the, the study that you had put into your life up until the time you move out to New York and the type of theater that you think you are going to pursue and make. And then to see how there was this other world, this avant-garde world where the ideas that you were I guess drawn to in the beginning in terms of creation are are tested, pulled in different directions. Yeah, I, I would say that they're not necessarily like theater rules weren't being broken, but they were certainly being bent to see just yeah. like could you do you have can you put words to kind of that that experience watching your passions evolve in such a way? Well, I, I think it, you know, in so many ways it was, um, it was so new. Um, I mean, I remember in high school in Denver sneaking downtown with, um, with, with my friend Dan and we would go to um, the now defunct Jack's theater, which was, you know, above Paris on the Platte, which is now defunct. I mean, the, um, uh, and and seeing companies like City Stage Ensemble and and um, and hunger artists making these these gritty raw work. I mean, so it wasn't the first time I'd seen that, but just feeling so um, I, I guess titillated by like the rawness of a small theater, an intimate mm-hmm. theater, saying raw things, um, <clears throat> but then really being immersed in in it. It, it was like it was like teaching yourself how to cook mm-hmm. and really enjoying food, but then having somebody come into your kitchen and say, Oh, but there's this whole other refrigerator and there's this whole other set of ingredients that you could cook from. 
let me give you a bite of this. Mm. And I was like, wow, this, this is the most delicious thing I've ever tasted. I mean, that other stuff was great, but this, mm-hmm. man, this is, I mean, it, and for me, it, it hit me in all the ways that I think I had, um, uh, that I had been struggling um, to try to find. I mean, I really wanted, as a young kid, I wanted to kind of um, audaciously change the world, kind of like wanted to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Here was an art form that was challenging society in terms of conversations, in terms of politics, in terms of just pure ideology. Remember, this is also a time in which, um, you know, the AIDS crisis was was in full swing. So there was a lot of angry and um, immediate political theater. Um, And there was amazing political theater that was, uh, that that kind of ran the gamut. Some of it was crap and messy and, uh, but it, and was put together in like a week and a half. And you could see that, but that wasn't the point. It was that this was a dialogue between artists and a community. Mm. And when I saw that, because you, you have to remember up until that point, like I'd, I'd see a play meant this is something that I make a plan for. I go to, I buy a ticket and I sit down and I watch in the dark mm-hmm. and I leave and I feel really erudite and I feel very you know full of myself and feel really but I had never seen anything that raw and anything that that was um, that that made the boundaries of what art making and community and dialogue and and um, and a place for an artist it was so permeable all of these things just started um, becoming so um, for me it started to crystallize what what my path really wanted to be and it and it wasn't necessarily in the path of commercial theater um and like i said you know there were many years where i would really be kind of vehemently angry at commercial theater and i have a soft spot for it i mean i feel like it always still has a place but um and it and the the more i've been able to be comfortable about about my journey the more i can actually point backwards and say yeah that was that has its place too, mm-hmm. but this is the path that, you know, and I'm, I always, I have felt more comfortable with those of dissenting opinion mm-hmm. or sometimes a little bit more aggression in, in their message, a little bit more fire in the belly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you, did you find giving yourself permission to follow this new way of theater it did you did you find that difficult oh um i don't know i mean i, I there there i don't think it was difficult i mean it, it kind of took me mm. um and uh i think it was difficult to find how i fit in how i you know because this wasn't something that you necessarily were that that somebody was going to train you how to do yeah. this was something that 
you know, certainly training and, um, and vocabulary around these experimental and avant-garde forms, I mean, you're really breaking the existing forms. So I kind of had to ask myself, I mean, I found the difficult part about it was like, I know how it is as an audience to be viscerally affected by, by this and receiving this. And I want to be the, the vessel or I want to be the instigator now. Like how, how does that happen? And it took me many years to kind of get and to, so to speak, the voice, you know, I knew the, I knew the craft from up until that point and a little bit beyond, but then I, and I knew the rules, I knew all the rules of what theater were. Um, and so then I just began devouring and then it was like this, I mean, all of it was there. I just hadn't opened the book. You know, I look back and go, wow, you know, this lineage of avant-garde work that, that preceded uh, the moment that I was experiencing was, was rich and it was deep. Um, and even to this day, you know, discovering, because these are the outsiders, these are the, the people who aren't always on the front page or who aren't getting reviews or who, you know, made a thing once in a warehouse with 10 people. Um, and those 10 people, maybe, maybe something survived. Mm-hmm. And years later, it comes to go, wow, that was, that was some seminal work. That was some seminal thought that was happening. Yeah. Is walk me through the, the transition back to Colorado and the creation of the Lida project. Yeah. Um, so it was very, very, uh, it was, it was actually very direct. I mean, I, I, I stuck with this program that I was in. Uh, it was a two year program and I stuck with this program for a year and realized I, I was in the wrong program. I, I didn't, um, I didn't want to go into this commercial theater track, mm-hmm. um, which was, which was really where this conservatory was, was really aimed at. They really wanted to make, um, you know, they wanted to, to give people a career in the arts and they wanted to give people a career in Broadway. And, um, uh, but so when I was like, that's, that's just not for me, mm-hmm. I decided, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to still stay in New York. Um, and, and let me tell you how smart a decision being like a 19, 18, 19 year old kid <laughs> with no degree, with no job skills, um, trying to make your way. It was, it was a disaster. I couldn't, um, in, in New York city, I yeah. mean, one of the most expensive places to live. Um, I, uh, I bounced around for a while and then, you know, and then I think things got real and it got really kind of scary, um, you know, mm-hmm. to think, you know, if I'm, if I stay in New York, if I stay on this track, um, it's, it's probably not going to go the way I really imagined life was going to go. Yeah. Um, uh, and I was making, you know, starting to think about making, you know, I was making poorer and poorer decisions. Anyways, long, long story short, I was like, I, I, I think I, I think I should get out of, of New York. I think I should come back when I'm a little bit more settled and trained. And then, um, 
so I came back to Colorado. I mean, I came back to Colorado. It's, it's my roots. Um, uh, I happened to have a, um, a young woman who I was sweet on and was courting at the time, um, who, who later turned out to be my wife. Um, but so there was a reason, there was plenty of reasons to come back. Um, so I came back, uh, landed at UCD and, uh, you know, really decided, um, to just finish my undergrad at UCD. And then I was going to get my shit together and, and kind of head back. Um, uh, but being kind of the, the, the snake bit, you know, kid that I was with all of this new, you know, my whole lens was all about making provocative work now, mm-hmm. um, and wanting to do that work. And so, um, you know, I was getting my undergrad, but I was also working with, with some of these indie and, and, um, avant-garde companies that were kind of around at the time and um but ultimately I was auditioning for pieces that were really not experimental pieces they weren't avant-garde pieces they were you know in small houses they were they had kind of a um an indie theater ethos but they weren't really experimental they weren't really doing that and so um Along with a handful of my my undergrad classmates, we decided to. Um, I mean, I I I wasn't even out of out of undergrad. Um, I took my um, I took my uh, student loan money, and we rented a warehouse and um, <laughs> and uh, and 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 formed a theater company. And uh, that's when Lita Project was was born. And we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the bursar's office for, for many years later, I was never able to get, to get my diploma because I owed them that last <laughs> semester of, of, uh, of, of money of tuition that I never pay um, oh because I started a theater company. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to say the rest is history, but you know, it was a, it was a very crazy set of, of, um, circumstances i mean you know we we started we found a warehouse with a a landlord that was that didn't care what we did in this big five thousand square foot warehouse and um i gave up my apartment and moved into this warehouse and lived there and um the early days of lita we um we supported the company by throwing i mean for those who are around or were around would remember i mean we threw after hours raves we would throw, I mean, there were, um, you know, all night parties and, and things that people, cause people would come to us and say, Hey, can we throw a party here? Like, sure. Yeah. Great. Paid for the rent, paid for the theater company. Um, uh, and we had some, you know, there was a ton of critics. There were a ton of critics at that time. And so we, um, we were lucky enough to like land on a place where we were doing some, interesting work um people who were writing for the paper love to write about interesting things even if even if it's crap Mm. that's something something interesting to write about and so we found ourselves in the early days just getting written about whether whether or not they liked the work or hated the work we were 
we were getting written about a lot because of um, of kind of the work that we were putting out there and 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 that um, yeah so that mm. that kind of took took that circuitous little way and um, and then for the next twenty years uh, we and the and the cast of characters um, at Lita changed um there were many different incarnations and of uh, uh, of core company ensemble members but um but we you know we kept making trying to make make work yeah i i uh i i threw my hands up as you were you were telling your <laughs> your 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 decision to spend your your college money because first of all that takes a great deal of courage. And second of all, I have always been a guy that's kind of managed and mitigated what I could and couldn't do by the lack or abundance thereof of cash in my account in terms of like what I'm doing with theater. So to hear that, I'm just like, Oh yeah. Holy crap. This guy really loves it. Oh man. (laughs) Just hook line and sinker. You bought in. That is a, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. There's no half stepping. One of the things that I'm getting from uh, over the course of this the, of our conversation this far is that I mean the focus. There's 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 a maybe it's a, not a focus but a fixation on at 18. I love theater. I'm going to get out of school yeah. early. I'm going to New York because that's where it happens. And then you're there. And then what you were in love with that got you out there is. You, you're shown this other door and it's creaked open a little bit and you poke your head in and it's like, it's like the Pulp Fiction's briefcase. You open it up and like, holy shit. This is what I had. This is what, this is the new thing. This is where my, my, my draw is now. And then yeah. even when it quote unquote, I mean, there's going to be people out there. Well, it didn't work out there in New York for you, but that's yeah. not the end of the story. You come back, you're still studying, you're still in it. You're, you're, you're connecting with these people that are like, yes, that's the kind of shit I want to be a part of. That's the kind of shit I want to do. And then to go out and just be like, this is a giant risk, but fuck it. Put the money at the warehouse table and go to work. And yeah. creating a community, re- not necessarily reaching out to these people that say wanted to put on a, a party or an event in your space, but then having them come to you to keep this dream alive over the course of 20 years is it's staggering and really impressive well it was crazy and you know sam what was what was interesting is that at the time you know as as i was auditioning and really wanting to see the work that i'd seen in new york in denver um it it became really clear that um if I wanted to see that work, I had to make that work, mm-hmm. you know, um, that I could sit around and wait. I mean, and, and there's never, uh, I think, um, I guess there's never a more uh, idealistic, you know, um, <laughs> moment than to say, well, I could do that. I could fill that void. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, being that young kid thinking that, you know, this is what Denver needs. Denver needs, I mean, I was blown away. I was blown away by this work and, 
not seeing it in Denver um, felt like there was space and there was room to introduce some of this, um, some of this work to, to Denver's community. And, you know, for, for those years, it wasn't just always about running a theater company. It was being a part of a community. It was trying to be and build a, a place, um, you know, build a part of the ecosystem. I mean, as, as companies were growing and, and emerging and others were sunsetting and going away, I mean, it's always an ecology. You know, you, uh, you have regional theaters, you have, um, at that point, there were dinner theaters, you, um, you know, you have mid-tier companies, you have small, you have community theaters. I mean, it's all part of that ecology in which we, um, we work in, but then our community imbibes in, you know, they need to have a little bit of the Denver center and they need to have a little bit of curious. They need to have a little bit of catamounts and then they need to have a little bit of Lita. I mean, you know, it, it gives a holistic kind of uh, uh, view. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, forgive me. You had mentioned when you were, when you had found theater is as a, as a, as a young man, there was this lost quality to your life. Yeah. Did do you feel that you found your home in this ecology? Oh yeah, I, I mean absolutely, absolutely. I um, if if not a home, I found a comfort or a ground, mm-hmm. a grounding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the uh, the unsettled qualities or not not feeling a sense of belonging or not feeling quite a part of um, just feeling, I guess, restless, restless in my own skin, restless where, where I grew up um, restless with bigger ideas, um, restless to just get life going. Um, I think as I grounded myself or the theater community in Denver, was able to help me ground um it it made me i think a more focused person and then i could start thinking about bigger things being i guess it's being a part of of a community being a being a part of i wasn't so um i wasn't so self-preoccupied um and I think some of that is just adolescence and growing and growing yeah. into and changing mm-hmm. environments, um, being able to have the agency to do things uh, on your own. Um, but you know what, what the thing, the thing about, <clears throat> about Lita and, and, and subsequently just my work in general mm-hmm. is that um, uh it's always, for me, it always has to be based in collaboration or ensemble-based work. Mm-hmm. Um, always wanted a family that really made work together. 
I never really in all those um, years of making work, um, I found myself at the top of, of an organization um, and, and as an artistic director making decisions, but I, I, I never ever intended or felt like I wanted to be anything but part of a, a group of people making work. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's wonderful. How has your transition back to New York gone? Um, interest. I mean, it's interesting because, um, you know, it's a huge fast forward many years. Um, the decision to leave Denver is not really one of leaving. It's mm -hmm. just one of, um, not always, at least not having my address there. Um, you know, pr prior to COVID, mm -hmm. um, when travel was, uh, was not as strong you know, when the world was uh, a little safer, mm -hmm. uh, I still would be back, you know, multiple times a year Absolutely. to work. Um, and I have, and I think uh, as much as I wanted to run away when I was a kid from those roots, um, they're what define me now. I mean, mm -hmm. my address is, is now in a different state, but, um, but I find myself really defined and always feeling like my roots are, are there. Mm -hmm. um, so now my, you know, now my work is, is, uh, is different. It's, um, you know, I come, I've come back. I'm now, um, I'm now working in, in, and at a different level here um, and have some of those opportunities that I, I think I wanted when I was 19. Mm -hmm. but didn't know even how to, <laughs> how to find my way into those rooms <laughs> anymore. Um, now, um, now the, those doors are, are, are open more. Um, you know, it really is on my time in Denver mm -hmm. that really kind of gave me my voice and gave me who I am. And yeah. I, um, you said, you know, like, back. Yeah. I mean, life is not done, you know, right. Mm -hmm. Life is, um, uh, chapters, chapters continue, continue to write. And, um, you know, we're, we're here in this moment. Um, and what I realized with just even the, um, with the relocation here, it's, um, it is what it is. It is in this moment. Um, but who knows what the next chapter maybe a return. I mean, though, you know, Denver has changed so much, man, you know, uh, the, uh, our, our, th our theater world, I mean, uh, stepped out of it as a, as a resident mm -hmm. for what seems like a nanosecond. And I'm, I'm, I don't know anybody anymore. I mean, things, things change, um, things, Landscape. and that's the way every community is right. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, we talk i you're talking about how quickly things change and um before we we signed on today i was watching the movie 2012 and uh, i don't know how accurate the science is in 2012 but i mean <laughs> the way the, the the plates shifted so quickly is kind of how i feel about it's a it's a it's an interesting callback that i wasn't anticipating 
in this podcast. <laughs> It'll be like, yeah, no, things happen really fast. Theaters that were things there, happen fast. Yeah. When I was when I was starting out, there was, you know, a theater done in a studio apartment. And then that moved to a, a rug store and then it's gone. And you're like, whoa. Like all these and, and it's not that it's not that the people themselves that that gave us those opportunities necessarily like gave up or their chapter ended they're still creating it just evolves yeah. i mean and, and for i mean for a person such as yourself like i feel like what's been cool is like i remember i would come and do a show with susan lyles at a warehouse yeah. and you were there and like oh this really brian's really friendly love this guy He's, he seems so open and warm. And then as I got older with my connection with the Catamounts to like, to see how your collaboration across the, the across the nation and you, to, to make yourself available for these things. I mean, like this is you and based off what you just told me, this is a guy that still wants to create that his home is 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 here he will avail himself to those opportunities if they're the right ones oh yeah i mean i have i have such deep deep love and affinity for and i, I you know i think what was interesting the time that it was okay for me to put the warehouse aside or put mm -hmm. the company aside um it was tough because that was a personal decision and it was um, it was a lot of, of collaborators that I was working with. And, um, and it was within that context that I was ready to make a different decision, you know, as much as um, I wanted. And, and, you know, I, I, uh, I have a partnership and my, my partner um, had an opportunity in New York Mm -hmm. And it was really, it was not a premeditated. She, she said, Hey, I got an opportunity in New York. What do you think? Yeah. 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 Let's, let's, let's jump. Let's see what happens. Got it back um, play. But what, but what was interesting is that, you know, when I, when I, when I closed those, that chapter, I, I did, it, I did realize like how long I had really been kind of in the trenches of, of, trying to to bring what I thought needed to be a part of the, the theater community. And, um, and when I left, it was like, this is, it's now time for other people to be, to lead that charge or to make other things. I mean, it, it's um, when I was younger, when we were first starting out, I mean, I, I had these, these other companies that I looked up to and, mm -hmm. and just, you know, and it broke my heart when they closed, but it, um, as long as I spoke their work or spoke their name or spoke mm -hmm. what their process was, you know, it felt alive. And, um, uh, I think that that I'm, I'm, I'm so eager to, see this next generation of folks and I get to come back. I get to have the best of both worlds, right? Absolutely. I get to come back and play now. Mm -hmm. I get to, um, I get to come back and tell tales of the old days. <laughs> like an old, like an old codger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um <laughs> you know you get to tell tales about like the time in which there was actually like five reviewers that would come see your show that and then they printed reviews yeah. in newspapers that yeah. existed and you had to get um, ink on your hands if you wanted to read them absolutely and that you would i mean I, the, the tales of uh i mean just like the old days when you would go out to the plant you know the the old denver post plant where you mm-hmm. could get the first review because there was no internet the first review would come out at three in the morning off the off the line and you'd have to flag some some guy down and um as much i mean those fun fun things that they don't exist anymore i mean you know but um but yeah they're they're still fun we had john moore on the pod a couple episodes back and it was it was it was really good to have him on one of the things that hearing you talk about you know the newspapers and flagging a guy down at 3 a.m like i remember (laughs) I remember the joy I had as a young actor cutting out reviews, even oh. if I wasn't mentioned in them, like cutting yeah. them out of the paper and then like folding them up and saving them to show them to my mom who already did it for me back at home. You know? Who already had her. Yeah, her, she already her had it. Yeah, it, 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 it's like now it just feels weird to print off, uh, you know, Juliet Whitman from Westward or yes. you know, printing them off the internet at all. It's just like, uh, it's not the same as cutting it out. If I, cut, I feel like if I cut out a print, a printer, like a sheet now, it just seems like I'm a sociopath making ransom notes. <laughs> no, it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, I, I've got, I've got boxes of old cuttings from all kinds and, um, you know, I'm slowly trying to go through the exercise of scanning them and, and, and then I go like, should I just toss this or should i still keep i mean oh. th- yeah the the artifacting of, of it all but uh, okay. but hey man i have to say you yes. you just mentioned juliet whitman and um word word came to me that she's retiring and i just have to i mean like what a what a beautiful beautiful woman and i mean just like her i mean as as each uh, as we lose um reviewers either to papers or or just you know it's their time to leave i mean i i just have to give a shout out to her i mean she's always been kind of a a wonderful um i mean she she wrote in that paper every week for i mean damn near yeah i I remember her predecessors but um i mean 15 plus years yeah she wrote um yeah been a staple and a staple Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the most intelligent writers, um, you know, I, I always, there, there used to be a moment when I would read her work and I didn't know if I was get if I was reading a review, but, mm-hmm. but damn, did I, did I love her, her critical thinking? You know, she would, she would use a piece as a jumping off point. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Anyways, just talking about changes. Um, yeah. But then, you know, yeah, John, John's now writing again mm-hmm. um, for, for a new paper. So there Big you go. The Gazette. Big ups to the, the Gazette. Gazette. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we transition um, out the door here, um, what are some of the biggest differences you've discovered in terms of New York and 
Colorado avant-garde theater, the theater in general? Oh man, um, you know, obviously, I think I think the biggest thing is, um, I mean, constant. Any place that you have a concentration of of artists, you're going to have a concentration of work. Mm. Um, so you have more people clearly, but um, I, I think the thing that that I I struggled with while I was there in Denver, and I um, I've been more exposed to here is this this relationship of, of the performance community and, um, and their relationships to unions and their relationship to livable wage. Um, and, uh, I, I won't say that, that it's, that it, it's figured out here. It's far from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that there are union contracts in this city that, can't be negotiated in Colorado, which is a shame. You know, um, a showcase contract, which by all intents and purposes is what everybody in um, kind of that mid-tier range is operating under, you know, under six weeks, pay everybody about the same. The highest person is, the the person who gets paid the highest uh, sets the bar for everybody. uh, and you know, that, that union contract just can't be written in Colorado. And I've never understood why. And what, what I, what I've, uh, I, I've kind of bemoaned the fact is that, you know, um, having a professionalized status or professionalized union, no matter what, what branch or scope of work that you're making, whether it's avant-garde all the way up to to you know, musical theater or commercial commercial work, um, you you really should be able to to talk about um, about what it is to look at these wages and professional paths, um, and not that the union is the only way to go. I mean, I'm I'm not a union member, but um, I I saw it pr- being prohibitive for for union folks and card members in Colorado. I mean, even to this day, I mean, you know, the places they, they can't work or that companies can't afford to bring an equity member in. Um, so, I mean, that's a, I, I think that's a big, that's a big hurdle. Mm-hmm. I think if you had more, um, if you had more contracts on the union being, being more flexible, into the work, I think you might see some paths to um, producers being able to work more with unions and mm-hmm. maybe professionalizing more and more the the work. Um, I think all of my ardent experimental avant-garde friends are probably rolling over right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to me talk, <laughs> but I think it, it does come. You know, it's it's not a side. it's not wholly a side trip. You know, I do think Mm -hmm. it's about us trying to make this work and trying to find a way forward to where the really amazingly talented people can be, um, be allowed to, to work in their field, right. Mm -hmm. Not have to, if they don't want to, um, hold five different jobs down. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of us that like to, to spread things around, but, um, but we do have to, you know, kind of talk about like how that happens. But, but truth be told, I mean, I don't think anywhere in the country's quite got that figured out, yeah. but, um, but that's a, that's something that is just a little bit more acute. It's just more expensive here. People have to, you know, people have to talk about money and what their art is worth. And, yeah. you know, the decision to take a job means, uh, you know, literally what does that mean to your bottom line? Mm-hmm. And um, what does that mean to the roof over your head? What does that mean to the roof over your head? Um, yeah. And, and what I will also say, like, there is a difference that, that, you know, when we have, and, and Sam, you, you and I have been a part of some pretty amazing productions mm-hmm. um, together and, and looking at like what happens when something is a, is a hit mm-hmm. or when kind of captures the town. Um, and I do think like the investment of, in the arts that that happens at some um, commercial and foundational levels in New York can take something like that and can step it up or keep that work happening. Whereas I think, you know, my time in, in Denver and some of our, you know, we see some of that work happen and we go, great, that's amazing. Can't wait to see what you do next. Yeah. Instead of like, what's the path forward to letting this show run for another six weeks? Or what's the path to mm-hmm. take that show from the dairy and put it in, you know, down in the complex somewhere? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, where, where are those, where are those trajectories to step up um, productions or it's starting to happen. I'm starting to see, yeah. you know, you see it more and more in Colorado, but yeah. I like the, I like the idea presented there. It's, it, it should, in certain regards, it should be more about fostering the growth within a project and a company and the artists that may, that are making it as opposed to finding a way to plateau, to maintain, hopefully hoping there's enough interest to plateau and make the same amount of dollars there as opposed yeah. to like, maybe if we, we do something different that changes how much like maybe we make more because we're ex- we're experimenting we're growing as opposed to just kind of like oh this note worked well let's hit it again for the rest of this, the rest of the year and then we'll yeah. reevaluate then maybe that's great yeah yeah brian as we get to this point in the podcast we always ask our guests what is that ghost light you wish was left on for you when you started your career what would you leave on for the next generation? Oh, that's a beautiful question. Um, you know, I, I think that it's all, you know, theater for me has always been a place of, of, um, of safety and inclusivity. And I, I hope that the ghost light stays on and burns brighter for us to make that world even more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hope that, that that light really continues just to get brighter because I mean, what it did for me, I know 
where I sit, it's in a pretty privileged place. And theater hasn't been as accessible to others that it was for me. And Mm -hmm. um, as I grew into that realization over my career, um, done everything to try to change that, but, you know, I just want that to be the, the last thing, you know, that it's always a safe space. It's always a place where people can come to mm-hmm. and always feel, feel that welcome. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Brian, thank you so much for uh, joining us today, being our, our, our guest back yeah. after, I think we took three weeks off. Um, it was definitely a combination of not having the bandwidth, not having the time and then being faced with the stark realities that are bigger than theater. Um, I want to again, thank our guest, Brian Freeland uh, for sharing with us his journey. Um, it was really, I'll be honest at times inspiring and then just really enlightening. So thank you for being, being with us today. Um, You're beautiful, Sam. Thank uh, you. I appreciate it. I do. I do look very good right now with a, with my five o'clock shadow look. Uh, <laughs> hell, of a, is, hell of a date, man. I love hey, it. Hey, all right. That's right. Um, can I get your number? We could do this again sometime. Always. Come oh, on. Sweet. <laughs> I'll even give you the real one. <gasps> oh, this one doesn't begin with five, five, five. Thanks. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are the Ghost Lights Podcast. I, I I believe this is episode 70. It is. This is episode 70. We are 30 away from the hundo mark. Heck yeah. I love it. Thank you for being with us again, Brian. I think I've said that three times, but it needs to be said three times because it's the rules of three, and that way you know it's the truth. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Ghost Lights Podcast. We will be back next week, but until then, Please subscribe, tell your friends. I want to include you on this journey. Now, Dan, do the damn thing.